Me as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we are looking in the book of Acts, chapter number three. The book of Acts, chapter number three. Now, if you're one of those that write in your Bible when the pastor preaches something, uh, for whatever reason, uh, better write small because this is one of those passages that there's just so much you can't get it in one sermon. We've been by here before, we'll be by here again. But uh, it's an old text, but I do have a new sermon today. The book of Acts, chapter number 3 this morning, and we'll begin reading with verse number 1. Acts chapter number 3, began reading with verse 1, says that Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They knew that it was he who sat sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord today. It is indeed a lamp unto our feet. It is a light to our path. Father, we just pray that your anointing will be strong upon us today. Help us to deliver the word of God that you would have to be delivered today. Lord, in Jesus' precious name we ask. All of God's people said praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. As I've already stated, this is a very, very familiar uh, story in the Bible. It's one that we've looked at before. But isn't it awesome that that's the way the Word of God is, isn't it? You can read something over and over and over again, then read it one time again and find something that you didn't find all of those previous times that you read it. I want us to look at this account one more time today. And there's six things here that I would like to call your attention to. And the first one is, I want us to notice the affliction. The affliction. In verse number two, it says that a certain man lame from his mother's Womb. So here's a man who was born crippled. He was a man that uh, had never been able to walk. And because of his affliction, he was unable to work. And we understand that in those days, they were different than they are today. And they didn't have the options. They didn't have the help. They didn't have the expertise that we have today. And we understand today the crippled or physically challenged, as we say today, can get around in motorized uh, wheelchairs. They drive cars. They work. They get married. They They have kids, and on and on it goes. But in Bible days, if you were crippled, your only option was to become a beggar, to depend upon the compassion of other people for every single need that you had. And so day after day after day after day, this crippled man was brought to the gate of the temple, and there he would beg for alms. We understand that it was the custom of the Jews in that day to pray publicly three times times 
a day. We can't hardly get anybody out for a prayer meeting uh, once a year, but uh, uh, the Jewish custom was that they prayed publicly three times a day. At the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour, or 9 a.m., noon, and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, in this particular instance, it was the uh, ninth hour prayer meeting, three o'clock in the afternoon, and Peter and John go through the gate that led to the temple on their way to pray. Now, there's no doubt that Peter and John had gone through this gate many, many, many times on their way to pray in the past. My question is, why had they not helped this man before? Why have they not helped him before? And had they even seen this man before? Or were they totally oblivious to him? Or maybe they did put in a penny or two on their way, not thinking anything about it, just nonchalantly throwing in, here's another beggar, here's another penny, not thinking anything about it, just on their way to pray. Well, here's my question for us today, and that is, who are we passing up every single day? Who is it that, that we are passing up every single day? You see, cripples are everywhere today. They're everywhere. Life has crippled a host of people. Some are emotionally crippled because of abuse, because of neglect, because of mental torment. They have been left emotionally Crippled. Maybe it was divorce. Maybe they were abandoned as a child. Maybe it's uh, they've been constantly put down and rejected and constantly criticized by society. And they have become wounded in their spirit and crippled emotionally. Then there are those that are financially crippled. They, oh, they, they were once living the American dream. I mean, they had it all. And then all of a sudden, the American dream for them has turned into a nightmare. Some have even been crippled spiritually. All their spiritual hero failed or or some embellished doctrine that they were taught didn't work for them in a crisis and they have become crippled spiritually. Friend, this is the day of affliction. It is the day of afflictions. All oh, Americans have rightly been labeled the walking wounded. All oh, this morning there are cripples all around us. And yet too many of us are stumbling over the cripple. Oh, and totally oblivious to them as we come to church week after week after week after week. And we pray to God and we say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Well, I want to tell you this morning, we don't have to pray, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because Jesus has already answered this question. He said in John 4 and 35, he said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Friend, all we have to do is open our eyes and, and look around us. All we have to do is open our ears and begin to hear. Oh, the crippled are all around us today. Oh, why do we stumble over them? Why are we oblivious to them? Why do we not see them? And why are we not doing anything about it? Oh, we need to pay attention as we walk through our day. So often we go, you know, through our day. You know, have you ever been driving in your car and, you know, you were going along and all of a sudden you just forgot, how in the world did I get here? Have you ever done that? Where, how, and, and maybe even, even startled, you don't even really 
know where you're at because you're off in la-la land somewhere. I want to tell you that all of us all from time to time and too often we go through our day and you know we're oblivious to even what even happened to us and what has gone on in our life that day and yet we have come across cripples. We have come across those that were afflicted. We've come across those that we could have ministered to and we could have helped at least given a word of encouragement to. Oh, friend, their life is crippled more than we would want to believe. We need to keep our eyes open and look for them. We need to keep our ears open and listen for them. Oh, hear me this morning. They're at work. They're at the grocery store. Oh, oh they're at the gas pump when you're give, getting gas. They're next door, friend. They might even be in your own home. Second thing I want us to notice in this passage is the alienation. Verse number 2 again says, A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried. But notice, who they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. Daily they brought him and laid him at the gate, Beautiful, by the temple. Now we don't know who they are. We don't know who they are. It might have been family. It might have been friends. Um, He might have even had to hire somebody to take him to the gate of the temple for him to be able to beg for alms. Perhaps some entrepreneur had a business, a a taxi service for cripples and blind people and every day uh, they would take the blind and they would take the cripple to strategic places in the city for them to beg alms for a living. We, We don't know who they were, the Bible doesn't say. And since the Bible doesn't say specifically, then then I've got a little latitude here. Not wanting to be dogmatic on this point this morning, but it is possible that whoever they were, they, the Bible said they brought him and placed him at the beautiful gate of the temple. Whoever they were, but it is possible that whoever they were had this attitude. Let somebody else take care of him. Let somebody else deal with him. Let somebody, let somebody else take care of him. Let somebody else support him. We've helped him enough. We've cared for him enough. We've done enough. We'll take him to the gate of the temple and we'll drop him off every day. Surely the people that are going into the temple to pray, oh, that's the, 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 the perfect place to place him because, because surely their hearts will be right and their hearts will be open and they'll give him a penny or two as they walk through on their way to pray. Day after day after day after day, he was carried and dropped off at this gate. Oh, passed off to somebody else. Let somebody else deal with him. We've dealt with him enough. We've done enough. Let somebody else help him. Perhaps could have been their attitude. But oh, friend, I want to tell you that these kinds of people were the very ones that Jesus seemed to be drawn to. Oh, for example, the woman at the well. Oh, oh, her reputation was so tainted uh, oh, that she went to the city well to draw water at an hour when she knew no one else would be there. But Jesus purposely showed up there at the precise time that he knew she would be there. 
she went when nobody else would be there because she didn't want to have to put up with what she had to put up with. She didn't want people throwing their nose up in the air and people rejecting her and people talking behind her back and people making rude and snide remarks. Her reputation was so tainted that she went to the well to draw her water when she knew nobody's going to be there. But that's exactly the time that Jesus showed up. How about the Gadarene demoniac? Possessed with 2,000 demons. Oh, placed among the tombs outside of the city gates. Outside of the city. Let's put him out there among the tombs. Let's put him outside. He doesn't deserve to be with us. Put him outside. Away from mainstream. Totally rejected and abandoned by his family. And friends, oh, his blood-curdling cries kept people far, far away from him. But I I submit to you today that that very same blood-curdling cry was the cry that grasped the heart of Jesus. And Jesus went toward that cry. And how about Zacchaeus? Oh, Zach, a tax collector, a... A crook. He cheated people on their taxes for personal gain. Friend, he didn't climb up the sycamore tree to see Jesus just because he was short. Excuse me, vertically challenged. He climbed up in the tree to hide. To hide. Because those people that were gathered around Jesus were the very ones that he had cheated. Were the very ones that could have turned into a mob. How oh, that were, that would be angry and even would have hatred towards him. And so he climbs up in the tree. Yes, to see Jesus. Yes, because he's short of stature. But I believe also because he wants to hide. But Jesus leaves the crowd, walks over to the tree where Zacchaeus was, and invites himself home for dinner. Oh, friend, we we love to come to church and we love to sing songs like the old chorus, To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like Him. And yet in reality, we act nothing like Him. We are as repulsed by the rejected people of society as the sinner is. James said in James chapter 2 and verse 1 through 13. Let me read it from the Message Bible. He says, my dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. He said, if a man enters into your church wearing an expensive suit... And a street person wearing rags comes in right after him. And you say to the man in the suit, sit here. This is the best seat in the house. And then you either ignore the street person or you say, why don't you sit over there in the back row? Haven't you segregated God's children and proven that you are judges who can't be trusted? Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. And here you are abusing these same citizens. James says, isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you? Who use the courts to rob you blindly? Aren't they the ones who seem to, who, who scorn the new name Christian used in your baptisms? 
You do well when you complete the royal rule of the scriptures, love others as you love yourself. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you go against the rule and stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose in these things, specializing in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring all the others. The same God that said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. If you don't commit adultery but you murder, do you think that your non-adultery will cancel out your murder? No, you're a murderer, period. Talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule that sets us free. For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Oh, kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14 and verse 13 to call the poor, call the maimed, call the lame, call the blind, call the halt, and you will be blessed, Jesus said, because they cannot repay you. Oh, Jesus said, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Oh, hear me this morning. Many of the afflicted have been alienated by friends and family. Oh, if we are truly going to be like Jesus, then we too will go out of our way to minister to the hurting. Jesus said, the whole don't need a physician but them that are sick. Not only do I want us to notice the affliction and the alienation, the third thing I want us to notice in this passage is the assumption. The assumption is found in verses 3 through 5. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. The assumption. The lame man sees these two guys about to go into the temple. Now, I don't know for a fact, but perhaps these lame men had even learned who Peter and John were by now. These are disciples. These are apostles. These are preachers. And if he did, then no doubt he would think, these guys are preachers. If I put them on the spot, if I ask them for money in front of everybody else, they're going to have to give me some money. People will be watching them so they won't want to be embarrassed or they won't want to look like they have no compassion for the poor and needy. You see, in order to survive, the blind and the crippled of that day had to learn how to manipulate people. No doubt he thought, yeah, if I openly ask, they'll have to respond. Verse 5 said he expected to receive something. From them. What, what was this layman's assumption? It was the very same assumption that man has today. The assumption that money will solve all of my problems. The assumption that is the same today that, that my problem is my cash flow. Got a cash flow problem. If I could just solve my cash flow problem, I'd solve all my problems. If only I had more money. But as with this layman, so it is with us. Money or the lack of money is not our problem. It's not our problem. And it will not solve our, all of our problems and make everything right in our life. It may fix things temporarily. 
And then the money runs out again. The wisdom writer wrote in Proverbs 23 and 5, For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Somebody said money talks. Somebody else said I know it tells me bye-bye. The fourth thing I want us to notice this morning, and that is the admission. Notice the admission. Verse 6, Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have. Now get a mental picture of this this morning. Here is this lame man sitting there, and he has openly asked for some money from these two preachers. Oh, he's fully expecting them to give him some money. But Peter said, we don't have any silver and gold, I do not have. Can you even imagine all the look on this man's face when Peter says, we don't have any money. Verse 5 said he was expecting to receive from them. His expectation is is high. These preachers are going to have to give me some money because I have singled them out of the crowd and put them on the spot. But Peter said to him, we don't have any money to give you. Hear me this morning, church. Peter and John didn't have what the lame man wanted. But they did have what the lame man needed. You know, most of the time what I, what I want is miles apart from what I need. What I want is usually miles apart from what I need. I, I don't know about you this morning, but I've been serving God for a long, long, long time. And I want to tell you, I'm, I want to tell you this morning, I am, I am glad that God has not given me everything I ever wanted. Because much of what I have wanted in the past has proven that it wouldn't have been good for me at all. And on the other hand, what God has given to me has proven to be exactly what was best for my life. And here's what I've learned this morning. Here's what I have learned. What God gives me is what I would want God to give me if I were only smart enough To want it. Notice the fifth thing that I see in this story. And that is the administration. The administration. How was this miracle administrated? Let's look at verses 6 and 7 and find out. Verse 6 and 7. Peter said silver and gold. I don't have any. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Peter's administration of this miracle was threefold. Number one, he acknowledged his limitations. He acknowledged his limitations. Silver and gold I do not have. I don't have within me the means to meet your need. And oh, I want to tell you this morning that this is something that I acknowledge every single day in my prayer. Oh God, I don't have what the people need. God, I'm nothing on my own and by myself. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. He acknowledged his limitations. And then the second thing was he announced who the source of the miracle was. He announced who the source of the miracle was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Peter said. Oh, friend, may we, like Peter, never forget the source of all 
miracles. Friend, there is no power in my name. There is no power in the name of New Bethel. There is no power in the name of our denomination. There's no power in our magical faith formula. There's no power in our professionally phrased mission statement. There's no power in the latest and greatest cutting edge program or state of the art presentation. You know what, friend? Most churches today can't say silver and gold, have I none? There's a few out there. But most churches cannot say silver and gold, have I none? We've got the latest and we've got the greatest. The sad thing is that most churches today can't say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk either. Friend, we have substituted programs for power. Friend, the source of power and the only way that the miraculous occurs is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter's administration of this miracle was threefold. He acknowledged his limitations. He announced who the source of the miracle was. And the third thing that he did was he activated his faith. Friend, true faith is active. True faith does something. Peter said to the lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Oh, friend, it takes a lot of faith to tell a cripple that has never walked one time in his life to rise up and walk. But not only did Peter say to this man, rise up and walk, verse 7, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Peter picks this lame man up. Oh, how embarrassing would it have been for Peter if after saying in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. After taking him by the right hand and lifting him up on his feet. If he had let him go and he had fallen back to his mat unchanged. What faith it took for Peter to say in the name of Jesus Christ Rise up and walk. What faith it took on the part of Peter to actually get involved and reach down and pick him up. Peter didn't wait for this lame man to respond, but he helped him respond. He helped him respond. Peter grabbed him by the hand and pulled him up. Friends, sometimes the cripple needs a little help all from us in order to help them initiate their faith. Let's notice the last thing that I find in this story. That is the animation. Oh, the animation. Look at verse 7 through 10. Verse 7 through 10. He took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Oh, the lame man was instantly healed and he leaped to his feet and immediately he enters into the temple. And he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. This man is animated. He's not passive. He's not timid. Oh, would to God that somebody here today would get a little animated in the house of God. Well, pastor, I'm just not the emotional type. 
baloney. Oh, I can just see you. It's the state playoffs. You're in the stands. Your son is on the field. It's the last play of the game. They, he catches the ball, wins, and runs the touchdown. They win if he drops the ball. He, they lose the championship game. The quarterback drops back. Your son, the wide receiver, goes out for the pass. The ball is in the air. And your son catches the ball, and he's on his way to the goal. And if he gets to the goal line, they win. If he doesn't, they lose. And you just... That's my kid there. No, you're animated. You're crazy. You're up in your feet. You're shouting. You're yelling. You're, you man, you're go. Come on, son. Come on. I'm not emotional. Oh, I hear a knock at the door. It's Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon says, I've got a check for $100,000 for you. You've won the publisher's clearinghouse. Oh, that's nice. Just put it on the coffee table. I'll get around to cashing it one of the... No! All of a sudden, you are a little bit emotional. Huh? You know, we came from an era when I was growing up, we had too much emotion. Now we can't get any emotion. When I was growing up, if a preacher didn't want to preach, he'd just run them and shout them. Today, it's a whole lot easier to study and get a sermon and preach than it is to run them and shout them. We've gone from this spectrum to this spectrum. We had too much emotion. A lot of it was a bunch of hoop and hollering and... A lot of just nothing but pure emotion. I'm not wanting to get back there. But you know what? God made us emotional beings. Amen. He wants to touch our emotions. We need to be open. Amen. I love the story of the, the pastor who had the struggling church. He's trying to get his church to grow. And boy, he, didn't, he really needed some, some money to do some things in his church. And he kept working on the banker. If he could just get the banker to come to church, you know, and he's got a good salary and his tithe would be good and he'd be a blessing to the church. He kept working on the banker. Sure enough, one Sunday the banker shows up. He's thinking, all right, here's the banker. I need to be dignified today. He had one problem, and it was Sister Living Good. <laughs> Sister Living Good would shout at the drop of a hat. Sister Livingood would shout over anything. How is he going to shut down Sister Livingood? So he can make an impression on the banker and get the banker to come to his church. And so he's real stately that day and real dignified that day and really controlling of the service that day. And boy, so far so good. Sister Livingood hadn't shouted like she always does. She'd shout her hair down, run all over the building. Oh, he's been able to keep her down, keep her down the whole service. He's about ready to dismiss. But in his dismissal prayer, he says something that lights a fire under Sister Living Good. <laughs> Sister Living Good jumps straight up out of her pew, jumps up and down a couple of times, twirls around, her hair comes down, <laughs> runs all over the building. Pastor thought, oh my goodness, I'm done now. 
the banker leaves the service that day. On his way out, he shakes hands with the preacher. He said, pretty good service today. I'm not really sure that I'm ready to come to church all the time. Not really sure I'm ready to become a Christian yet. But he said, I'll tell you one thing, Pastor, if I ever do. He said, you know what? I want what that sister living good's got. Amen. Amen. Oh, immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And the Bible said that he began to walk and he began to leap. And he began to praise God. He became animated. I'm telling you that when God begins to do something in our heart and in our life, amen, we're going to get a little excited. We're going to get a little enthusiasm going. Will somebody get excited in the house of God today? Amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise this morning. Amen. If the musicians and singers would get back in place this morning, you might say, well, Pastor, why do I have to get excited about? Well, do you have all day? Do you have all day? Just get excited about our Jesus. That's all that you need this morning. Get excited about Jesus. He's our Savior and He's our Spirit Baptizer. Oh, He's our source of all blessing. Oh, He's our security in insecure times. He's our sovereign Lord and Master. He's our substitute. Oh, He's a supernatural wonder worker. He's our sympathetic counselor. And He is our soon coming King. We've got Jesus. And Jesus and Jesus alone is enough to get excited about. Stand in the house of God and give the Lord a shout of praise today. Lift your voices today and give the Lord a shout of praise in His house this morning. Glory to your name. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise you today. Oh, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. God, you're awesome and you're incredible. We thank you and we worship you today. Hallelujah. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning, real quickly today, I don't want anyone to listen this morning not knowing Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. If you were to die in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% sure and convinced that you're saved today? If there's one person here this morning, you're not 100% convinced that you're saved. Not 100% convinced that you're on your way to heaven. I want to help you leave here convinced today. If you're here this morning and I've described you, you're not 100% convinced of your salvation. But you want to be If you just lift your hand up and let me recognize that you've lifted your hand today, I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you or call your name or do anything like that. I'm just going to have a prayer with you this morning along with everyone else. I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning. All over this room today. All over this room today. All over this room today. Amen. We've run just a little bit long this morning, but I don't want anyone to leave here today with with a need that has not been prayed over so this morning, without calling altar workers or anything, but if you have a, a request, a, a need, a personal need this morning, you'd just like someone to pray with you and unite with you in prayer, if you'll just step out of the aisle closest to where you are standing, we'll have some people pray with you this morning. We want you to have the opportunity today to have your need prayed over today. Anyone in this room, just step out into the, into the uh, aisle closest to where you are. Anyone. Anyone this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, we have one back here this morning. Here's another one coming out this morning. A couple of ladies, would you go, please? Anyone else today? Anyone else today? Anyone else today? Just step out into the 
aisle closest to you this morning. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I will be the one who worships.